HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit www.rt11.com. Today's program is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of the next episode of Meet and 3, our weekly food news roundup. We're fresh off our trip to Slow Food Nations in Denver, a festival that brought together advocates to discuss the future of food. And this week, we're bringing you a special episode inspired by the new Equity, Inclusion, and Justice Manifesto released by Slow Food USA. If we're going to solve food security, we need to say these people have a right to good, healthful food. But we have to do that in a way that kind of insulates this system from the vagaries of the market. Because when you're at a table with somebody, you recognize their humanity. And when somebody cooks for you and serves you food, in a way they're saying they care about your survival. How can we put things into our own hands and have the people of Puerto Rico gain real access to healthy local foods? Listen to Meet and 3 this week for our highlights from Slow Food Nations, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Moxie Rosenblum. My dad, Harry Rosenblum, hosts Feast Your Ears on Heritage Radio Network. Right now, HRN is having a summer membership drive. Becoming a member is so easy, and you'll help support shows like my dad's. You can sign up for a one-time donation or become a monthly sustaining member by visiting heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Let's keep food radio on the airwaves this summer. to be eaten on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Coralie. What's in your grocery basket, and what does it reveal about you, your economic bracket, eating habits, dietary restrictions, and cooking fears? These are the questions that Amy examines for feedback, an online ever-growing collection of stories. Thanks so much for joining me today. I should also say that Michael, her editor and husband, is here. Hi. 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 So um, I've been starting off the show with uh, the question, where are you from, for um, people of color. It's often a very hostile question, so we're just going to open that up. I'm from, I'm from Southern California. I'm from a small town. Me too. Where? Uh, San Clemente. Okay. Where are you from? People are like, oh, San Francisco. And you're like, no. No, Southern. Where? Yeah, no, way more Southern. Uh, Newport Coast. 
Oh, okay, okay, mm-hmm. cool, awesome. That's not that far. It's not, yeah. Yeah, I always like have to tell people one hour south of Los Angeles, one hour north of totally. San Diego. And how has that gotten you to feedback? Oh, um, well, I hung out in California for a long time. Um, I lived in San Clemente until I was 18, and then uh, went to Santa Barbara, um, studied photography there, and then uh, hung out in Los Angeles for a handful of years, and then moved to uh, San Francisco, spent some time there, and then came to New York. So I've been in New York for around five and a half years. Um, But I feel like I learned a lot about food mostly in Los Angeles. Um, I learned a lot about grocery shopping in Los Angeles, but probably even more so in San Francisco. And then kind of had like a, uh, it was it was a harsh reality, like grocery shopping in San Francisco and then coming to, to New York. It was like a very stressful situation. Mm-hmm. I feel like people grocery shop in a much more casual, uh, casual way in San Francisco. And then you get to New York and it's like, everyone knows exactly what they want and they're like in and out. There's mm-hmm. no, uh, there's no leisurely <laughs> lounging through the like large aisles. It's, uh, so yeah, anyways, um, I feel like, uh, when I got to, when I got to New York, um, I feel, uh, yeah, I mean, you want to talk about how, how feedback began? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, so I was working, um, at a job that was pretty, um, kind of mindless. I wasn't very happy there. And I, I was listening to a lot of podcasts about, you know, finding and working on things that you care about, that you're passionate about, and um, feedback kind of began. It was it was one idea that kind of evolved in, into what it is now, which it started as um, I, I wanted to open my own grocery store. <laughs> and it was during a time, it was a, a few years ago, when um, a lot of people were starting to shop um, like through Fresh Direct, like where people were having things delivered to their to their home and I think Instacart, um, like where people grocery shop for you. So I was like, oh my gosh, like do people even care about grocery shopping anymore? Does anyone even care about buying their like buying their own produce themselves or their own meat? Um, so I actually started doing literal market research where I started hanging out outside of grocery stores and asking people what was in their basket when they came out. Um, and if if why they, what they bought that day, like if they cared about buying it themselves, if they themselves would even like have somebody else grocery shop for them. And, and these, these simple questions started evolving into sometimes longer discussions that um, just told me a lot about who they were, kind of what their routines told them to me about their lives and um, just painted this story that um, I realized like after I would step away from some of those conversations that um, feedback just kind of evolved into a longer conversation around how, what we buy, where we shop, um, how that tells a lot about who we are and, and where we're from. So are you still going to open a grocery store? <laughs> I would love to open a grocery store. I would love to have like a grocery store where everyone like has a say in what is in there, kind of like a co-op situation. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like... I feel like because in New York, it, it is so stressful. That's why we turn to stuff like Instacart. Um, I used to love walking around Trader Joe's in um, like yeah. Newport Beach, right? Because yeah. it's like, oh, just look at all the different types of almond butter and right. like, the different types of avocados. And here it's like the line wraps three times around yeah. the store. Yeah. Might as well just shop while you're in line. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, it's, it's no longer leisurely. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, I feel like even asking people... 
when they would walk out of the grocery store and they'd have bags, like, some people's faces were like, no, I'm on a mission to get back to my house. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm not going to talk to that person. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's uh, definitely the personalities of New York make, I feel like, the stories what they are. So did you start feedback with both? Um, we should also explain what it is. Uh, in the kitchen yes. and down the aisle, or did it one kind of fall the other? Yeah, um, down the aisles uh, is, is mainly when I... is is a format where I walk literally in down grocery aisles with people. So I grocery shop with them. Um, in the kitchen formed after, after that, I base I realized that more and more as I was talking to people, I kind of wanted to understand like how their setup in their kitchen was. There were so many tips and tricks that people had just around like preparing food that I wasn't totally getting into. Um, and I felt like if I was in their, in their kitchen with them, I could actually learn a lot about, um, Kind of how they prepare food, how they break it down, what it looks like in the fridge. Um, so yeah, it actually came afterwards. Yeah, especially living in New York City where our yeah. kitchens are tiny. Yeah. Um, what are some tricks that you've adopted into your own kitchen? From people's in the kitchen, from the in the kitchen mm -hmm. interviews? I had one in, you know what, I had two in San Francisco, so they had large kitchens. Um, I didn't really, honestly, I didn't really pick up any tricks from people in the kitchen, mainly from, from grocery shopping. Um, I think that because everyone's spaces are so different and because the way people, like how often they shop and how often they're cooking for themselves, that just is so different from person to person that um, it's kind of hard to apply one thing to another, unless it's like a design element, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, this is where I put my my cups and my my plates or something like that mm -hmm. so you said it changed how you shop yeah well it changed it it informed a lot and it it made me more adventurous in ways um yeah you mean the the down the aisles yeah yeah so is it that you feel more comfortable or you know where to look in an aisle or you're trying different grocery stores um, not where to look. Definitely trying different grocery stores. Um, there, a lot of, a lot of people that I grocery shopped with, um, when I ask, when I reach out to them, um, I, I don't choose. I'm basically like, okay, like, you know, in a couple weeks I'll reach back out to you a couple days before the interview, like just give me an address and I'll meet you there. Hmm. And, um, so I've definitely gone to a handful of new places that I had never gone to, um, which which was fun. So I learned a lot about, um, more specialty, um, like markets, um, in, in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Um, but I actually think that, I mean, I, when a lot of, when a lot of people talk to me about like what feedback is and at the beginning, they're all kind of like, you know, how do you, how does a chef do this? Or like, how does a cook do that? And I feel like there's, there's some of that, but a lot of, a lot of the interviews end up telling more of a story about that person mm -hmm. um and it's kind of this beautiful portrait of kind of how they were raised and like what food means to them and like where they're at in their life now and um so I've learned a little bit about like how to pick the better produce um but I end up honestly learning more just about like that person in, in, um, in their life and kind of where they're at now. Um, do you find that the grocery store that they pick is one that they are shopping at every other day or is it one that they're, you know, kind of wanting to frame their style in a certain mm -hmm. way on feedback? You know, mm -hmm. like this store I may not shop at a lot, but mm -hmm. has some ingredients that are really special to me. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Definitely with specialty markets because you can buy in bulk so much there often. Um, people will say like Zahadis or something like that. They're like, oh, I don't come here every week. So when I do come like once a month, I just stock up a lot. But no, I do think that those people shop at those places often. Um, one, um, a couple, more often than not, people want to take me to Union Square Farmer's Market. And mm -hmm. some people are like, oh, I really should have taken you here now that I think about it. Like, they'll say that afterwards because they're like, oh, this seems so normal. Everyone shops at Union Square Farmer's Market. But I won one grocery trip uh, that I did with Natasha Pikowitz. She's the um, pastry chef at Flora Bar and Ultra Paradiso. She had this really great tip where she does a full walkthrough of the market. Um, she just, like, looks around, looks at pricing. She, um, she eats things while she's walking through. And then, like, after she's done a full walkthrough, then she's like, all right, I know where the squash is that I want. I know where the beans are, and I'm going to get my mint over here. And so then she, like, makes this plan, like, after she's fully, like, sussed out the market. And um, I definitely, like, take pieces of that. I don't, I don't know if I go through the whole place, but, like, if I see blueberries, like, my first initial reaction is, like, yes, I'm going to buy those right now, but... I'll instead I'll go and I'll like eat one and then I'll be like okay I'm gonna walk to the end and then I'll eat another one I'll be like oh actually this one's better than the first one and then I'll end up buying this mm -hmm. so I use some tips like that yeah when strawberries first came into season um I went to the first booth and they were like $12 a pint or something mm -hmm. absurd and like, okay they're so great and I bought them and they were just awful and then the very back there was much better strawberries yeah, yeah. lower price. Like, it's okay. a good it's a good tip definitely like um and that's not the first the first person I've shopped with that um that has that has told me that it's really important to try things if you can um, before you buy them. And I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't like walk through Whole Foods and start eating everything in there. But like <laughs> three sixty five blueberries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not like cranking open like packages and trying things. But like farmers markets for sure. Like if you, I think it's totally appropriate and like it's great to just try things. So um, don't be afraid to like grab a bean and eat it. Mm -hmm. I ate a plum today, a small one, and then I was like, is this too big? <laughs> the to entire try? plum. <laughs> <laughs> I felt kind of bad. <laughs> so what is in your grocery basket week to week? Are there some things that you get again and again? Like I find that I'll just get almond milk and bananas and coffee and that's it. Or, yeah, you know, like, are there yeah, some like staples? you mean like your, your staples that you're right. constantly picking up? Um, I'm really big on routine, which is really funny because most people I shop with are not big on routine, um, which is kind of what I like about it. It's really refreshing um, to see people who just like wing it every time they go to the grocery store. Um, maybe it's because I have like an, a Monday through Friday job that I go to um, and I buy, I'd say that like I focus mainly on dinner. Dinner's like my meal that I care about. It's the meal that when I get home um, from from like from work, it's like where I can kind of let myself go and like have fun with it. Mm -hmm. um, so for so those that's totally random. I actually never plan out dinner. I kind of do the thing that most cooks or people who like ingredients do if they're at a market. They like pick what looks good. That's kind of what I do for dinner. But I'm really bad at lunch and breakfast. I'm like really. I don't care about them. They're, like, very meaningless <laughs> meals to me. <laughs> so I'm just, like, I'm very programmed there. Um, I've been doing I've been doing bone broth for lunch. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's super easy. I basically buy frozen bone broth um, from this farm, Stone and Thistle, at my farmer's market, and they make an exceptionally good chicken bone broth. And I buy that, and it's in a quart, and I take it to work, and I just, like, keep it in the fridge. 
and I eat, I drink like half a quart for, um, for lunch and it's weird. Like I'll be starving at lunchtime and I'm like, oh my God, I'm just going to drink broth. But then by the end of it, I'm like, oh, that was so, that like tasted like Thanksgiving dinner. It was delicious. Like I feel good afterwards. And so it's pretty boring. It's one thing, but like, I don't, that's, that's a consistent one. Lemons are consistent. Um, I'm very routine. I have, I have lemon and water every morning. Um, what else is consistent? My husband loves avocados. Those are always those are always in our grocery bag. Okay, wait. So, do you eat the whole avocado at a time? Because I know some people are really weird about storing it in the fridge. Do people? Oh, to store in the fridge or not to store in the yes. fridge? Or I mean, I mean, like because it turns brown, and then people are like, "Ugh, might as well just eat the whole thing in one go." I think that's crazy. What do you do with avocados? Uh, so I eat half at a time okay. and then just put the other half but my boyfriend's like no you got to eat the whole thing at once and so oh. it's just like we'll get a you know a bag of four from whole foods and yeah, it's like yeah. all right well there goes all of our avocados thanks so a lot quickly. yeah <laughs> i feel like we half it sometimes we even quarter it yes that's nice yeah i'm not afraid of leaving an avocado <laughs> on the counter <laughs> there's no fear in that for me <laughs> and so what do you feel like um like bone broth and maybe these random dinner ingredients and avocados, what do you feel like they reveal about you and your habits? Oh my gosh. Um, that I'm really boring for <laughs> breakfast and lunch and that I'm not inventive at all. Um, I think they say that I, I feel like if I'm going to make a meal and I'm going to put effort into it, it definitely says that like I care about what I put in my body because then, like, I'll go out to eat at restaurants and I'll just, like, go all out. Like, I'll definitely have something that I would never try to make at home. So it's it's relatively simple, um, and it's usually surrounding, like, a protein or some and some greens. So it's, I feel like it's it's reveals that I'm trying to be good during the week. Mm-hmm. So and it's, by like, good, like I health, mean, health-based. Yes, by good I mean, like, not eating, you know, steak and, like, a ton of butter and bread and <laughs> which is also kind of fun <laughs> it is fun I, I leave that to the restaurants that I get to try in the city which is fun to go to but you yeah. also do great seasonal meals your huh? salads you, you prepare uh, soups you know during the winter that we eat all week yeah and I think that's been informed a lot by the feedback work you know talking to people about these things they prepare seasonally and how it changes through the year yeah salads are fun I'm a good salad maker what are the um the basics to a great salad. Okay, so I think I read, I think Alice Waters' daughter, uh, Fanny, said that, she said that her mom, like, taught her the best thing about, like, the most important thing about a salad is, like, the amount of times that you, like, actually, like, toss all the greens. Oh. So, like, to not have a properly, like, you have to basically don't just, like, toss it, like, two or three times, like, really, like, a hundred, I think she said, like, 50 times. What? So that, sh- that is game-changing, actually. Okay. Uh, number two, um, I got a tip from Taraja Morel, um, from a down the aisle, and she's, like, a hundred percent always Dijon and, and shallots, like, mm. in your salad. So now I put shallots in my salad, like, every, every time. There's no salad without a shallot in it now. Those are, those are good tips. Yeah. I do the, like, the <laughs> The drizzle of olive oil on top, crunchy salt, no tossing. So no, it's gonna change it. Oh yeah, it helps to have properly dressed greens. <laughs> so <laughs> let's let's go back to um, feedback. How do you select the people you feature, and are you driven by like, oh, this is a really interesting person, um, and so what they shop for kind of comes second, or it's like 
you're going in with kind of an idea in mind, and then the person just happens to fit the story that you're trying to tell. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, one, to that, to your last point, the idea of what I will have in my mind of someone is true. I feel like that happens at times, and I'm always wrong. Hmm. Like, I'm always wrong, and I love that. I love that I'm, like, always surprised. Um, you think you know somebody through social media or, like, interviews, and then you grocery shop with them, and you're pleasantly surprised that, 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 um, that they're not... The social media doesn't always paint, like, the most accurate picture. Um, so that's really interesting, though. Then why... How do those two come into conflict? And why do you think these people put up that kind of facade on social media? And why not just, you know, so cliche, but, like, be your true self on Oh, I definitely think that these people are, like, themselves. But I think that when you actually grocery shop with someone and you're looking at their ingredients and you're asking about, like... There's most of the people that I feature aren't talking about grocery shopping at all. So in no way do I feel like they're mis they're not rep- misrepresenting themselves. I'm more just like I feel like I paint a picture like mm, they're gonna take me to this grocery store. I bet or I bet we're gonna buy this together. And then they're just like, nope, I buy this. It's cheaper. This is the better way to go. And I'm like, dang, that's smart. Like I never, I didn't like. I'm pleasantly surprised that you showed me that. So mm-hmm. I I mean it more like in actually a positive way. But um, I pick people. I I mainly pick people that are, I feel like, going against the grain in one way or another in, in what they're interested in doing, um, whether they're whether they're writers or, or cooks um, or reporters. Um, and I, I tend to like people who are opinionative, like who have a, like a, a strong opinion on things, and um, I feel like they'll be fun to shop with. I feel like they'll be very intentional in what they where they go and what they buy, and that's usually the case. What are some examples of some recent people you've shopped with, and what was surprising in their baskets? Um, let's see. So, I wrote some of these down. So, Danny Newberg from Joint Venture, he um, he had worked at Estella for a really long time, and I was really interested in, in meeting with him because he kind of, like, jumped ship and started doing his own thing. Um, and he was... He was really fun to grocery shop with. He took me to Chinatown, um, and he's just, like, super inspiring to shop with. He's just like, smell this, try this, look at this, touch this. Like, he was so involved with grocery shopping, and usually when you walk into, like, a market in Chinatown, like, the smell is, like, the first thing that'll normally hit you, like, whereas if you're in, like, a Trader Joe's, it's, like, it doesn't smell like anything, actually, but, like... He's just like, smell this. He'll like stick like a dry squid like up to my face. And he's like, this is how you want this to smell. One thing he taught me about like buying fish was that you always want to pick fish that have like clear eyes. So the moment that it looks like slightly cloudy, like don't go for that. And he showed me how to like lift up the gills on fish. And I was just like, this is amazing. Like I never get this involved in looking for fish. But I started, even when I'd go to Whole Foods and there's like the... Um, the fish that's like out and available I like full on just like open ripped open like gills I was like are these bright are these dull um so he was really great um Samin Nosrat the the author of uh, salt fat acid heat I think that's the order um she's just like inherently a teacher like I don't I don't feel like you could do anything with her and you wouldn't learn she was so inspiring to shop with um she um she taught me about like certain types of rices that she picks for certain reasons she told me she also was just like you need to try everything like don't be afraid to eat anything while you're out grocery shopping um 
Yeah, those people were, were inspiring. Um, Brandon Jew, um, he owns a restaurant, Mr. Jew's, over in San Francisco. He was really, he was, he spoke a lot about um, kind of the reason behind why he why he cooks the way that he cooks. Um, it's weird. We were watching um, David Chang's show last night, Ugly Delicious. Which episode? We talk about the show every week. Do we? Yeah. Cause, well, because I, I just get a little salty because he does everything I'm trying to do but has way more money and way more fame <laughs> than I do. But yeah, which episode? Home recipes. Okay. Did the fried rice it? one, maybe? No, there was some fried rice in there. Yeah. I think he made fried rice along with it. Oh, was things. it like his, the one he was cooking with his mom yeah. and his Thanksgiving? Oh, that was a sweet one. That was the best. I was, like, so inspired by that episode. I was like, this is beautiful. Like, mm-hmm. this is the reason this is it. Like, this is more interesting to me than, than like, Chef's Table by far. I feel like you take Chef's Table and then you take this episode that David Chang did, and it's just, like, it's so much of what I'm trying to get to in feedback. It's so much that I... It's, it's the, what I'd love to see more is, like, the why. Like, the behind-the-scenes to, like this finished product of a chef or like a dish you know what I mean it's this like beautiful story that paints the picture as to like why they are doing what they do and like I thought that was super inspiring that episode um how did we get on David Chang I forget I forget too but it was great no uh (laughs) how Danny shops how Samin shops yeah and then I was saying oh oh that's right Brandon Jew he said this beautiful thing we were talking about he was talking about like why why he cooks the food that he cooks and and David Chang said something similarly last night which is like we cook to remember people and places and and events in our life to like connect back to those to those memories and feelings and um and we Brandon and I were talking about um about Judy Judy Rogers I believe um she's the she she passed away she's the chef uh she was the head chef at Zuni Cafe and um, I was telling him that he, he made, she like had this incredible recipe for a Caesar salad. And he said that like, he feels like he connects back, back to, he worked for her. Hmm. Uh, he worked with her for a long time. And when he makes a Caesar salad, it's a way for him to like remember her. And I was like, oh, it's so beautiful, you know. This is Meant to be Eaten. I'm speaking with Amy, the founder of Feedback and her husband, Michael. We'll be right back after a short break. The following program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 Potato Chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. Incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. The following program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential small hotel, is located on a quiet tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. 
feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. This is meant to be eaten. I'm, I was just speaking with Amy of feedback about uh, cooking to remember people, places, et cetera, et cetera, which uh, got me thinking about how we then um, also just cook for fuel and also might cook for art. And so there are all these different ways that food is used and how do you feel like these definitions of food change? Because we were talking about chef's table versus ugly delicious, right? And how almond milk and bananas in my grocery basket may not say exactly what I want it to say about me, but it is, you know, very much me. So how do you feel like these different roles that food play um, kind of speak to us? You mean like what we buy? Yeah, more so like, I feel like a lot of the food on chef's table Mm -hmm. is, it's food. It's, you know, edible substance, but I would hesitate to put it in the same spectrum as my bananas and almond milk, right? It serves a very different purpose. Oh, yeah, for sure. So how do you feel like we consume these different things differently? Um, or like maybe their their roles in satiating us? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, for myself, um, I kind of think I, I, I touched on it earlier. Um, I go to restaurants to be like, in, to be inspired. I feel... I think a lot of the reason why I wanted to talk to chefs, people who are writing uh, food media today, is because so much of where people get their inspiration for how they actually cook at home and what they put in their basket is actually based on a lot of the things people are doing in restaurants or uh, what people are writing about. Um, and I don't really... I, I think a lot of people do have an idea of how much impact they have on on um, just myself when I go to the grocery store. When I sit down, so many so many of the early interviews I did with people um, who were coming out of grocery stores and I asked them, you know, like, what? why are you buying what you're buying today? Like, they're just like, oh, well, I got this... I, I eat this at a restaurant and I wanted to try to recreate it at home. So I think that, um, yeah, I think that people, like, chefs on chef's table or just a lot of the chefs that I've, I've interviewed, I think that they impact a lot of the way people eat because they're trying things out. Like, it's their job to be experimental and to push boundaries and to, like, try new ingredients or bring ingredients to the, you know, the forefront of our, just on our plate. And then and then I think grocery stores or, like, people get inspired and, like, follow through with that. And I think that hopefully they can put that into their own routines at home. I mean... Why are you drinking almond milk now? Where did you start drinking almond milk to begin with? That is a good question. Yeah. We d- we'll never yeah. know. But um, I'm just going gonna, gonna to push on that a little bit. I totally agree, and I do that myself. Um, I saw you did an interview with uh, Desi, the chef of uh, Keeley's Heel. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, um, so their menu is so simple, and it's just... Um, I had the Spanish sardines with aioli and toast, and it was like... I don't know, something upstairs, like $16 or $20. But I went home and I just kept thinking about that, like the space, the like summer air coming in, the beautiful sardines can. And it was just like that, that was so inspiring to me. And I kept, I took that home with me. But what I want to kind of investigate is why do we then feel this need to recreate it at home? Why do we want to bring into a repertoire? What does that mean? It's a good question. I feel like, 
for me, maybe yeah, yeah, for I you. Just, for myself, um, I feel like when I try something really good, I initially want to share it with others. I just have a, I want to, I want to connect with people the way that I had a connection with that, with that meal myself. So, um, yeah, I think the, that the reason why I pick up a cookbook by a certain person, like a chef that, or a, a restaurant that I go to often, if I pick up that chef's cookbook, it's so that I can recreate those feelings and memories with, um, with more people in my life. Mm-hmm. So um, you claim that feedback is working to kind of fill the gaps in this food media narrative. And what gaps are those? Yeah, I um, I think it kind of touches a little bit on like the social, this, this final image that you see on social media or um, on Instagram or like when you open Bon Appetit and there's like a recipe and there's this like beautiful image of what you can make. <laughs> um, I, I was... I, I was really interested in more of the why, like why did we choose, like why did they choose to make that meal, or how did, like what did that person have to go do in order to actually get that that dish created. Um, I feel like we were lacking a lot of, or I think a couple of years ago I wasn't seeing many stories on people's process of actually like what their life was like leading up to the moment where they made that dish. Um, you know, you always see this final image on Instagram and it's just like, well, where'd you shop to make that? Like, why did you choose that place versus this other place? And like, why, what's that tomato like versus the other tomato? Or like, what, you know, where's the hummus? Like, where'd you get that hummus from? Did you make it yourself? Like, um, I just feel like there was a lot of questions that I had. I was mainly mostly curious about the backstory, about the, the final recipe or the dish. Um, and I wanted to, to dive deeper into that with people. And I was pleasantly surprised that I more than just like the story on how they got to that dish, I learned more about like who they were and if they have time to make that. And maybe maybe that one dish was the one dish they had to make. They got to make all week because they were so slammed with work for the rest of, you know, all the other days. So mm-hmm. there's just a lot more to it than just this final piece that we see. And I think that... Um, I think the more that we know about backstories and process, we gain empathy and, and we learn more about people in our community. Mm-hmm. So we were talking uh, before about kind of overcoming intimidation uh, when shopping, like shopping in Chinatown, being overwhelmed with smell. And so what do you think pushes people to go beyond just shopping in the quote-unquote ethnic aisle versus going to the quote-unquote ethnic grocery store? And how have you seen people overcome that or... Yeah, what do you think pushes people? I don't know what pushes other people, but I know what pushes what pushed me to do that. So I was brought to a ton of specialty like markets um, from from many of the people that I shopped with. Um, I think it kind of I think it boils down to to like being open to like not knowing what the heck you're gonna experience. Like I think you have to be willing to walk into a little bit of the unknown there. Um, I mean, when you walk into Chinatown, you're hit with, like, a mass, like, a sm- smelling everything. Same with, like, open markets where you're, there's, like, dried fruits and nuts. And it's, like, it's more of a, like, sensory overload. Also, a lot of the things aren't in, like, I mean, I speak English. A lot of the, a lot of the labels on things aren't in English. Um... I feel like you kind of have to be okay with not really knowing what you're walking into or what you're trying. Um, I think you have to have a sense of adventure and 
Um, you have to be open to like being curious about that. Um, yeah, Michael, what do you think? <laughs> well, I'm just thinking specifically of something like Carmel Grocery that we came upon through an interview, and now we go there. You know. Sorry, what was it? Carmel Grocery. It's in Queens, and um, it's just this great Middle Eastern, mostly Israeli, little mom and pop shop, and they have these hot sauces and hummus and olives and everything there is just absolutely amazing and it's such a you know you know you wouldn't expect too much from it looking at it from the outside but we go there all the time now it's, it's our go-to place for these ingredients because you know we kind of dove in and just tried it and we're like this is the best version of this we could ever find anywhere yeah I mean I think that I think to that point um I mean going into a market dedicated to a type of uh, like in this case Carmel Grocery uh, like an Israeli uh, Middle Eastern grocery store um, so many people behind the counter were offering me to try things they were like hey what are you, what are you looking for do you want this do you want this I then started interacting with, with everyone like who was also like digging like putting olives into a bin like it just became so much more it's an experience that I am interested in having more of and I don't know if that is for everybody um do you think they were offering that because you're not from that culture yeah yeah like this girl looks kind of confused (laughs) um (laughs) but i mean like but they were just offering me like still like everyone offers me samples like of things like people want you to try things and they're so proud like of the food that they make um it's honestly just such a better uh experience for me and and you just feel more connected to the community in that neighborhood um, to support um, small markets like that and to, and to be um, a, and to I mean price points are so much better there the ingredients are better I just it's honestly overall great I suggest everyone do them like my mom my mom's in San Clemente I feel like she's very happy with the um, with like the hoisin sauce and like rice noodles in her and then like her Trader Joe's aisle but like she gets a little like I'm just like mom. We're gonna go here. We're gonna try this out. And she, it's I think it's just a comfort thing. I think some people are just more comfortable being in like in a little bit of an unknown, you know. And mm-hmm. some people aren't. So yeah, I was just about to talk about that. Um, this kind of makes me want to like <laughs> do away with all the ethnic aisles because <laughs> they're so weak. Yeah. You know, they're way overpriced, and a lot of the ingredients are from like American brands interpreting other cultures ingredients and it's just it's so sad because then that's what people are exposed to and that's what they think yeah, it tastes yeah. like yeah you know and so yeah. yeah I mean I feel like but it's also a huge convenience and it is kind of a stepping stone it's like those a way of like meeting the consumer halfway you know yeah that's 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 a good point it's like chili garlic sauce you go down to the aisle at the big box grocery and there's one option but then you go to Chinatown you have like 50 options of chili garlic sauce and they all taste different some with black beans but they all just say chili garlic sauce yeah. <laughs> it's like oh no which one is it or yeah, some so of them don't them even all. say it it's just yeah that's part of the fun <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. there um there are these i don't know if you went into one of the uh, chinese grocery stores but there's always like a soup aisle and it's like a ton of dried um, herbs and seeds and nuts and things that you kind of are supposed to mix in a very careful combination to like achieve healing or something and there is um, there are north almonds and south almonds and you're supposed to use them together but they're both just labeled almond and there are like 20 different types of these from different brands 
Well, because I grew up with them, and I knew okay. my mom was always like, oh, you got to use the North and the South. And mm. I went, and they were just all almonds, and they're all, they look the same. Huh. Yeah, so that was... That's so interesting. I totally, I relate in a very, like, third culture kind of way. Be, I would want to go grocery shopping. See, that's another reason, like, why I also, I think, choose or gravitate towards people to grocery shop with, and why I get so excited when um, I grocery shop with people in places that I'm not used to, because I learn so much. It's just... You can learn so much when you grocery shop with someone. It's really, it's really an incredibly simple act that paints such a, you know, beautiful picture of, of many people. Mm-hmm. So you also say that feedback um, is trying to combat expectations about where we should be sourcing our food. Was that more, like, the like we were talking about, like ethnic grocery store versus ethnic aisle, or is that like responsibility slash sustainability? About where we should be sourcing our food Right, from. or like you say that they are very, kind of like an unwritten code of expectations about where we're sourcing our food, especially here in New York. I feel like everyone is very political about their food. I think everyone has opinions on it. I like that. I think people should have opinions on where they, where they shop and why they buy what they buy. I find that people who don't care, like that's, yeah, I'm not, I prefer if people have opinions on why they shop where they shop. I mean... Society, like, having expectations of where you should source your food, I mean, like, I just, that's tough to talk about. I mean, if you're going to shop, if you're going to buy only organic, like, the price points on those are super high, and, like, it's not accessible to most people. So, I mean, something that's interesting about a lot of the people that I've shopped with, I mean, you would assume... I don't understand that, like, most people think that, like, organic means, like, perfect or great, most people I grocery shop with do not care like about organic at all. They're just like, look, it looks it looks fresh, it tastes good, like that's good enough for me. So um, I think that, yeah, that's I guess that's my answer. There is like I I don't think that um, I think that you know through social media or reading, if people are just pushing certain labels on you about your food. My my initial thought is like. Who cares? Like, do what you want to do. Like, do what works for you. At the end of the day, everyone does what works for them, right? Yeah, like, no, that's that's a really good point. Um, when I was looking at a lot of the guests you feature, I kind of uh, mentally noted that many of them are in a very similar economic bracket and they enjoy a very specific level of kind of social fame, right? But it's really nice to know that, you know, buying the same duck at Sahadi's or something. Totally. You know? Every, it comes down to price, like, hands down. Everyone's gonna love a good deal. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> it's so true. Everyone loves a good deal. People will be like, "Oh, well, you can get that at this place for that price," and it's like, that's the kind of info you want to spread around. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, yeah. Most people care about price. That's a really great way to end this episode. Everyone just wants a great deal. <laughs> this is meant to be eaten on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks so much for joining me, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. 
and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.